Why does your business exist? That's a pretty big question, right? But it's an important thing for everyone at your company to understand as it plays a huge role in shaping your brand and how your business is perceived. Your product, pricing, and customer experience are all important parts of what makes your brand. But to stand out and win the hearts and minds of modern consumers, you need something more. Increasingly, consumers are making decisions based on what a brand says, how it acts, and what it stands for. They support companies whose brand purpose aligns with their worldview, and they discard those that don't. So how do you build a brand in a way that's purpose-driven and has a clear mission? In this episode of Built to Last, we're joined by Buffer's co-founder and CEO, Joel Gascoigne. Buffer is recognized for its unique approach to business. Here are a few of our teammates to explain more. My name is Haley. I do public relations at Buffer. I think there are a lot of different things that make Buffer quite unique. One of the biggest ones is our willingness to experiment. Very recently, we have decided to move to a four-day work week for the rest of 2020. I think that's huge and not something a lot of companies would even consider. So I think that makes Buffer very different. Hey, so this is Mike. I'm a product marketing manager at Buffer. Been working here for about five years. And uh, it's been a pretty amazing journey. One of the things I really love about working at Buffer is I have the flexibility to work from wherever I like, um, pretty much work whatever hours I want to work as well, as long as I get my work done and I have the trust from the company to do that, which has been pretty amazing. But how did Buffer end up on this path? And how has it impacted the company? Here's Joel to explain. So Buffer is known for doing things quite differently. And this has really been something that's been the case very much from the beginning for us to get useful insights, we realized that the more we shared, the more others would share back with us. They would give us feedback, whether that was on public forums, such as Twitter, where we would share revenue numbers and some of our lessons learned very publicly, or in private conversations where we would meet up with other founders a little bit further along than us and uh, ask them questions. We would just share all of our numbers. So that's kind of really where our value of transparency was born. And over time, it was really just a case of realizing these things worked and they were a little bit different and then testing the boundaries of, of multiple of these different things. And I think with that, we pushed ourselves to some edges and where people might feel that's quite extreme now. But really, it was just us feeling things out, seeing you know what works for us and kind of just went from there. Buffer's value of transparency has been a huge part of the company since day one. And when Joel mentioned pushing the edges, some of our more bold acts of transparency, like sharing revenue and team salaries publicly, have become talking points far beyond Buffer's niche. Orson Nistrom, the director of the social media company Buffer, which has a transparent pay structure uh, for its staff. Orson, thanks very much indeed for joining us. Let's talk about what your company actually does in terms of being transparent on pay. How so? Is it on a website? Can we all access it, see how much you will earn over at Buffer? Yeah, so it's transparent. We have both a transparent salary formula uh, that removes all bias from salaries, uh, and it's online, a formula that can help you calculate what you would actually earn if you were working at Buffer, and it's found on our, on our That's Asa Nistrom, well. Buffer's um, VP of Customer Advocacy on Sky News discussing pay transparency. 
And did you start off like this or was there a moment where you thought, actually, we've got to be more transparent and, and so therefore you brought in this new system? Because I imagine that would be quite difficult to do. Uh, we brought it in three years after the company was founded, which was uh, almost a year after I joined. So it was a conversation that we had as a group. We were quite, still quite a small group of people working at Buffer at that time. Uh, it was, you know, it's part of our, our culture transparency. So we made a joint decision to have our salaries transparent. Buffer's unique approach to business comes from Joel's innate desire to challenge the norms. Sometimes it's maybe seen as going against the status quo or going away from less traditional practices. But I really think it's just a lot more about questioning everything that we do. We try to reach a high bar in all areas of the company. and. That just means being open to reimagine things, break things down and start all over again. Buffer's approach to challenging everything isn't about reinventing the wheel or rethinking every aspect of building a business. Often, it's to validate that the traditional way of doing things is actually the best way. If we learn in the process that the kind of traditional way is the best way um, right now or the best way that we can find right now, then we will go ahead with that. But it's more about not assuming the current way is the best way and, and finding our own way along the journey as well. By thinking and acting a little differently right from the start, Buffer's brand started to take shape organically. Early on, we were really focused on a few specific things, which I think over time contributed and were the beginnings of our brand. For example, at the beginning, it was about how can we get this thing off the ground? How can we best serve customers? And you're starting in a place where you have no customers and you have a product that is untested. So you've got to be really attentive to customers. We were very fast, very responsive in terms of customer service. We involved the community a great deal in the early days and we still do today. And then we would move very quickly to fix issues and make improvements. And we would generally always try to tie those improvements back to whoever has suggested it to us. So we won a lot of loyalty uh, from taking that approach. And I think that's where we started to build a fairly specific brand. Another big part of Buffer's brand is transparency. We always wanted to focus on sharing our journey, gaining insights by sharing a lot of the details of things we're trying, things that are working, things that are not working. And so all of those things formed our approach and formed the brand as well. In forming the brand, Buffer also embraced an ambition to do the right thing and be a force for good in the world. The Buffer brand has always also been about integrity and striving to do the right thing. And I think that's what's led us to giving back, making charitable donations, focusing on diversity, equity, inclusion, trying to be a force for good in terms of employee rights, having a workplace where people can work from wherever they want, whichever hours are best for them, and then focusing more recently a lot more on mental health as well, which is, I think, one of the big issues of these current times. And so these are all things that I think have contributed to the brand as well. Buffer's journey from launch to now, from zero to over $20 million in annual revenue, hasn't been a straightforward path. And it's not your typical startup story. Over recent years, much of the conventional thinking around business growth, especially in the world of startups, was steeped in the idea of hypergrowth. The goal of many startups was, and in some cases still is, simply this, to grow at all costs. But for Joel and Buffer, chasing the Silicon Valley dream of a big exit or acquisition was never the goal. 
Buffer's had an interesting journey fundraising. We've raised two rounds of funding over time, one in 2011, a seed round, 500k, and then three and a half million Series A in 2014. Over time, in the years since that Series A round of funding, I have shared that we became less of a fit for VC funding. And some of the things that contributed to that is, firstly, we had a big acquisition offer in 2014. We chose to turn that down. I think a lot of times with a a venture-backed company, at that time we were just angel-funded, but any Silicon Valley-type company, a lot of times the goal is the exit. The goal is to sell or to go public. And this was a large offer and we turned it down. We realized there was much more of the journey ahead, much more we could learn, much more we could do, more impact we could have. But I think that's maybe where the kind of the genesis of us starting to realize that we were going our own path. There were a few pivotal moments that shaped Buffer's ambitions to focus more on sustainability than hypergrowth. In 2016, we had some financial challenges. We made a round of layoffs and said goodbye to 10 people that we'd really grown to enjoy working with. And one of the key decisions we made in going through that is that we decided not to solve that issue by raising funding. We decided to take the responsibility on ourselves. After refocusing on profitability, it became clear to Joel that Buffer's metric for success shouldn't simply be how big it can grow. We quickly became profitable after that. Since mid-2016, Buffer has been a profitable business every single month. That's also not really generally aligned with the VC-funded path. And then in 2017, Leo and I, my my co-founder and I, parted ways. We had different views on where we should take the company. A lot of it was focused around growth and the rate of growth and how quickly we could grow big and the actions we would need to take to to achieve that and, you know, hiring several executives in to show us the way of where we should go in order to become a highly successful VC-funded company. So we parted ways and I decided to take things to the much more profitable path. We started to see growth slow down a little bit over time, but profitability drastically increased. And we were growing so fast that I'm talking slowing from 100% year-over-year growth to 50% year-over-year growth. We were okay with it. We were happy with it. But over time, uh, we were becoming less of a fit for, for VC funding. So we still have many angel investors as shareholders. Almost all of them are really excited about this new path we're on, the new approach we're taking. It can be a great outcome for them and for the team and more importantly for customers and society. I think one of the clearest things over time that I realized that Selling the business is not my ultimate goal. Creating something that sustains itself and can endure for decades is a much more exciting goal for me. Joel believes that this shift away from hypergrowth and exits and instead towards sustainable is a growing trend. I've been recently seeing a shift towards much more sustainable businesses. And I guess in some ways it's, it's less of a shift because I think it's always been going on. It's more that these companies that are taking a longer term approach are finally getting a little bit of the spotlight. So yeah, it's absolutely a trend that I've been noticing. I'm happy to see it. It happens to align with the decisions we've made as well. And uh, I think it's a really positive thing. I think going through a, a pandemic and a downturn as well has brought a lot more focus to the value of being profitable. I think go back two or three years and being profitable was seen as a negative thing. It's seen as not capturing 
as much growth or as much of the market as you could be. But today, we've seen countless companies just be really disturbed by the the pandemic and seeing loss of their revenues and having to lay off you know large portions of their team and that's going to have a long-term impact on morale on, on their productivity and so companies that have been profitable going into this as we have have been much less impacted you might be wondering funding vcs hypergrowth. what does all this have to do with brand well Focusing on sustainability and profitability has enabled Buffer to approach growth and building the brand in unique ways. Our focus on profitability, on being a long-term company, on aiming to be around for decades, allows us to operate quite a lot differently than, than other companies. We have a lot of freedom that other companies don't necessarily have. We can do things that are great for customers, but may not provide an immediate return. We can put the team first in a absolutely 100% genuine way where other companies may strive to do that, but under underlying it all is to maximize shareholder value or to, to achieve financial maximization. As a result of choosing to build the business in a sustainable way, Buffer has been able to make decisions that other businesses couldn't. So our focus on serving small businesses is an example of that where almost every other company out there, especially the VC-funded ones, if they start in small business, they will generally go up market and start trying to capture the enterprise market. And in doing that, they will inevitably do a worse job of serving those small business customers. We've chosen to stay firmly in the small business market and, and be there long term and try to serve them really well. Being profitable also means Buffer can focus on more experimenting with the best ways to build and run the company. Other examples of things we've been able to do and move really quickly on is this year, our, I guess, nine-month pilot of a four-day work week is something that I've not come across any venture-backed company that would do that. I would struggle to see that getting approved in a board meeting. Other things is that we could really, you know, take a bet on a whole new market and generally VC-funded companies will stay within one clear market and uh, strive to become the dominant player in that market. We don't need to be the dominant player, but we also have the freedom to to do different things and, and go other places. So overall, I think we can also dream a lot bigger and we can do things where it's not a direct path to get there. We can have a bad quarter. It's, it's totally fine. As well as the shift towards sustainability, we're also seeing more and more companies being driven by a purpose that goes beyond simply driving profits. There are more and more examples of companies that are having a kind of a dual purpose or um, a purpose beyond profits and beyond growing their revenue. Um, and it's really cool to see that. I think Allbirds, they're, they're a great example of that. I think that Tom's is one of those first brands that really executed that well. I think there's a shift going on. Um, and I think people are really starting to, especially the consumers, generally probably younger demographic of consumers are really kind of demanding this from companies and, and wanting to see this and, and then rewarding it with, you know, purchasing those products. For Joel, there were a few pivotal moments that really made him reflect on purpose and what he wanted Buffer to stand for. For us at Buffer, I would say it was right around that. 2016, 2017 time where we went through a lot of change. And I personally went through a lot of soul searching and existential questioning of 
having a large acquisition offer the company, choosing to turn it down, and then also parting ways with my co-founder and, and choosing to put Buffer on a long-term profitable path. Um, those are some big decisions that I thought long and hard about. And, uh, you know, they are kind of irreversible decisions. And I had to feel really sure that that was the path I wanted to go. And a big part of that for me was getting away from this idea of deferring certain things. So deferring a sense of balance in, in my work and for everyone in the team, deferring being able to give back. A lot of these things are things that the norm or the expected thing is that you focus on your company, put in the long hours, take some sacrifices, maybe on your health, in your friendships, in your family life, and you don't give back along the way. That's that's taking away from how big this company could be. And so you defer all of those things until this point where you, you know, sell the company. And now you can you know give back and, and work on philanthropy and you can take your sabbatical or your vacation and, and have more balance in your life and become healthy again. And I think it's, it's a cycle that you see happening over and over. And for me, there was this big moment of, well, we don't need to do that. We can strive to create a company that allows us to do all of those things while we're building this company and do it for long term and, and create a working environment and a setup and level of balance where we feel like it's truly sustainable. We're sustainable as a company. It's sustainable for us all as individuals working in the company. As for Buffer's purpose? Buffer's purpose is to help small businesses who do good while doing well. We're specifically helping companies to build their brand through our set of tools for social media management. And we're really focused on small businesses. I believe that small businesses are a force for good in industry in most countries there. A majority of, of the industry, they provide fulfilling, meaningful, purposeful work for people. Um, generally, small businesses are a lot more adaptable and they are driving a lot of the change that large companies eventually realize they must adapt to. For example, remote work really started with a handful of small companies who some of them grew a lot larger. And then over time, it's, it's starting to be adopted now by much larger organizations. Joel sees making a positive impact on society as a huge opportunity for companies of all sizes. I think the opportunity here for businesses to really be a, a positive contribution to society is huge. I think, interestingly, I've been doing some, some reading around the purpose of business, and I recently came across that really the original definition and the goal for business for businesses and, and the establishment of the concept of entities was for positive societal change. That was the purpose. Over time, that's shifted and financial maximization became this idea. It's not written into the law or anything really, um, but it has become the understood and agreed upon goal of businesses. Um, but I think there's a huge opportunity for businesses to go back towards that original intention to create you know, valuable improvements to society, to serve society, and to do really well in the process as well. I think we're in this time where the audience is also hungry to see companies that are actually doing good, that are actually good companies. So a focus on purpose beyond profit can help businesses to benefit society as a whole, which was the original goal of business to begin with. 
And when it comes to brands that are leading the charge on societal change and doing good for the world, there's one standout example Joel looks to. The key example and inspiration for me of a company that has really gone far with doing good beyond their product is Patagonia. They are a company that's truly made their vision something far greater than themselves, something beyond their products. They recently changed their mission statement a couple of years back, and now their, their purpose, their mission statement is, we're in business to save our home planet. And I think this is just a, a really significant stance, you know, stake to put in the ground for them. So that's always been a focus for them. But there are things they've done recently where they've closed down their website uh, on certain days, or they've used their homepage to push back against something going on. And they've not been afraid to get a little bit political and to share their stance and, and what they believe. So yeah, I think Patagonia is one of the big inspirations for me. Purpose beyond profit isn't just a nice to have. It's something that consumers are beginning to expect from businesses of all sizes. I do believe that modern consumers are really expecting more transparency and authenticity from brands. I would say um, in a lot of ways they've been demanding it. I think that they're demanding that companies take a stance and become an aim to be a net positive for society. Um, it's no longer purely about what is the best product, although I think that is really important. And I think that's a, something that brands must not lose sight of. They should strive to be a really differentiated and high quality product for whatever their audience they're trying to serve. And then also focus on thinking about how they could be a benefit to society as well. And I think that's the ultimate way right now to uh, succeed as a business and to capture that, that audience that is starting to really care about what businesses do beyond their products. So what's holding more businesses back from doing their part and aiming to drive positive change? I think the, the main obstacles to moving beyond an exclusively shareholder-focused perspective are really, it's, it's about the structures and the systems and the narrative right now. I think currently a lot of the press, a lot of the funding, a lot of these things are geared towards financial maximization and the success being an exit. And really, unfortunately, in a lot of cases, when it comes to societal good, um, taking a stance, dismantling racist systems, things like this, for companies, it's much more of a defense mechanism. They'll do it when they are at risk, when something blows up. And that's unfortunate. And I think really all of these systems need to change. We need to be shining a spotlight on the companies that are doing this good work all along the way. And they're making that part of why they exist. And I think investors need to recognize that those companies are going to be lucrative and they're going to be very successful in the long term. Consumers are highly valuable stakeholders for every business. They can drive growth for those they believe in and vocally oppose those they don't. And as consumer expectations shift, brand purpose will increasingly become a differentiator and driver of success. A recent Accenture study found that 62% of consumers want companies to take a stand on issues such as sustainability, transparency, and fair employment practices. But consumers can't be fooled. And any purpose that your business claims has to be 100% authentic. As Emily Hayward explains, 
Authenticity has become such a buzzword in the past few years, but I think there's a reason for that. I think that consumers are absolutely seeking authenticity in all of the brands they choose to align themselves with. And the reason for that is because consumers have so much more information and so much more control. So they're able to really dig beneath the surface. And when a brand is out there claiming to stand for one thing, but not actually delivering on that in terms of how the product behaves, or even more so in terms of their internal culture, how they treat their employees, the values of the founder, consumers are going to sniff it out. And they're going to call out that brand for hypocrisy. So to me, authenticity is about walking the walk in addition to talking the talk and not thinking that brand is just a layer that sits on top that creates a certain appeal, but ultimately isn't backed up by how the business behaves and what the product offers. So we'll leave this episode as we started with a question. Why does your business exist? Thanks so much for listening, everyone. Thank you.